always soccer in Philadelphia on a Monday afternoon, and not even the coronavirus could keep us from recording after what was probably one of the best Philadelphia Union games I've watched in the last couple years. And of course you know that we had to start the show off with some Norwegian black metal as we pay homage to our Norwegian center back, Jacob Glesnes, who hit one of the most ridiculous goals I've seen in the last couple years. And uh, I felt tingly inside as a fellow center back who only made it as far as Philadelphia's Casa League. I'm Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad and returning to the program uh, from the Philly soccer page. He was here with us last summer. It's Peter Andrews in Colorado. Peter, what's up, man? Hey, Kevin. Uh, this is this is me practicing social distancing. I'm coming on the podcast from 2,000 miles away. No chance of viral uh, transmission from me to you. We should be good. That's right. You're, uh, I'm locked in a room in Philadelphia. You're locked in a room uh, in Colorado. Now, has you, has your boss, has your company given you any coronavirus uh, guidelines that you're supposed to follow? Uh, just put an extra bottle of hand sanitizer on my desk. That's about uh, how far I've gotten into the, the preparations for this. So. Well, we're going to protect ourselves from that. Uh, we're going to protect ourselves from overreaction as well. But we got to start. No, I think I think overreaction is you know the thing to do after uh, after last night's game. I mean, uh, I feel bad for anyone who went to bed. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was watching. So it was like <clears throat> the game didn't. Of course, they said it was ten thirty. You know, I'm like rolling my eyes because Joe Tanzi came out later on Twitter and he's like, "Well, the window goes until one o'clock, and they're not going to start until." you know, 11 o'clock. And I'm like, Joe, what the fuck, man? Could you shit on our parade anymore by telling us the game's going to come on later? Um, but I watched the first half downstairs and then I went to bed and my wife was like asleep on the other side of the bed and I was watching the second half awake. So when Glessness scored the goal, I, I wanted to say something out loud, but I kind of caught myself and I went like, Aah! and kind of pulled the covers like back over because I didn't want to, I didn't want to wake her up. But uh, that was the sound I made when he scored the goal, what sound did you make when he scored? It was kind of like a flat, like, you know, oh, my God. Uh, I, You know, I was watching the game with my cat, and he was <laughs> even, you know, even he jumped up, and I was like, ah. And he, he jumped up and was like, wow, that was quite a goal. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, <clears throat> I've never seen anything quite like that in terms of just um, – you know, what I appreciate about it is how, from a broadcasting perspective, it really clicked in terms of, uh, you know, John Strong and uh, Stu Holden. As as Glesnus is lining up, they're like, no, no, he's not going to do it, no. <laughs> yeah. Then he, you know, blasts it. Um, and then like, Glesnus would be like, the run-up. I don't know, everything about that was, was uh, I don't know how... You can really talk about anything else to start with, right? Yeah, it felt it, um, you know, because normally when we have a game like that, we just kind of go down a list of like observations. I usually write them down in like chronological order and I say, what'd you think of this and what'd you think of that and whatever. But, uh, you know, we had to start with that. And to the call, yeah, the call felt very organic. You know, it was just like genuine shock. You know, Stu Holden was saying, oh, I think he's going to line up and shoot this. And he did, you know. And it looked like, um, you know, it came off as like a, like a, it looks like a baseball slider. You know, and I tried to watch it a bunch of times to see, like, if to try to see the surface area of where he hit it. It looked like he hit it a lot more with his laces. He didn't really side foot it at all. But sometimes those guys hit the ball uh, like a perfect diagonal, you know, kind of like how Ronaldo hits those where he just gets him to dip. And uh, 
you know, I, I, I'm not sure if people like know this entirely, but a lot of what those guys do is they take the, uh, the part of the ball where the, the you put the pump in, where the needle goes in, the rubber part there. And oh, really? Yeah, and when they're – so when you see guys, like, picking up the ball before a free kick and they're kind of, like, rotating it around and spinning it around, like, they're looking for the that hole. They're looking for the dead part because when you hit – when you hit that flush, when you hit it the right way, the ball doesn't spin and it just kind of comes off as like a dead hit. I don't really have a better way to describe it, but like if you go back to like Juninho and like David Luiz, if you look at how David Luiz hits his free kicks, how they go up and down, he they're hitting that part of the hole um, that just makes like a thud, like kind of a dead sound, and that's why it doesn't move. But I'm trying to think, like, can you remember the last time you've seen a like a center, an, an MLS center back do something like that? I mean. Completely unique uh, goal, and I saw you were talking about this on Twitter earlier. But um, I think it's pretty clearly the second best Union goal of all time, um, mostly because I, I don't think that that Carlos Ruiz goal could be topped anytime soon. Um, and maybe some of that's just biased because I was I was sitting there at that game pretty much parallel to where yeah. uh, Ruiz hit it. You know, it's so much harder to hit it ball moving and whatever like that, but <clears throat> no, I mean, that's the closest thing is, uh, it was unreal, it was, you know, a great reaction, I will say, um, I've really liked what I've seen from Glesnus so far, you know, he seems to, in addition to apparently possessing a howitzer, um, you know, he's, he seems like he's a smart player, he's in the right spots, he makes good tackles, um, he's a, a good leader on the back line, I had a chance to chat with him briefly, because um, I was in Dallas for the season opener. Oh, yeah. Briefly. Yeah. Struck me, you know, just seemed like a very personable, uh, 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 seemed like a funny guy, made a joke about the travel distances in Norway. I don't know. He's, you know, the sort of signing that Ernst Tanner is very good at is pulling these guys from near obscurity, and, you know, it turned out they have real talent. Well, my argument for the uh... – because yeah, I did a story for Philly Voice a couple years ago. It was in 2017, and we were ranking the the top 10 goals that the Union ever scored. And, like, of course, it's it's arbitrary. It's just my list, you know. But um, the Ruiz goal, you know, I think the point that I was saying was, you know, when Glessness hit his goal, you know, it's a dead ball. It's on his strong, strong foot, you know. Whereas Pescadito, you know, it was, it was the rebound that came off of the wall. And the ball's bouncing. It's a live ball. And he hits it with his weak foot. And, um, you know, so that was my argument and kind of like the degree of difficulty kind of thing. Would you, Does that make sense if you look at it that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. I do think, if, you know, if you tweak the criteria a little bit and say basically, <clears throat> well, you know, what's the most, you know, perfectly hit ball? Um, I think Lesnar's might come out on top. But I think when you... Multiply that by the degree of difficulty. I think you've got to give it to uh, Pescadito. So um, you take your pick. What 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 else uh, is on your mind from that game? What what's the number? Two? If Glessness is number one, what's the second topic that that's uh, that you're thinking about? Well, I think it's I I think it's Sergio Santos um, because uh, you know one thing that the Glessness goal was so good that you kind of forget that uh, I would say that three of the other goals in that game would in any other week the strong goal of the week contenders. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Vela free kick was amazing. Uh, you know, Rossi's goal I thought was pretty good. Um, but Santos, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this 
on the podcast. Kind of an up and down first season was dealing with injury. Never really found his place. Um, but I thought he looked really strong in the game yesterday. Uh, really well-taken goal. It's a bit of skill that, you know, I don't think we've really seen from him. And then I think, you know, he basically makes the third goal as well with his hard work at that end in terms of, you know, he gets the shot, comes back to him, and he has the presence of mind to find the wide-open Aronson, you know, at the Pumbley spot. Um, I, I don't think that the union can kind of just get by with, you know, even if Shabilko has the same kind of year he had last year, I think they're going to need more because they've lost, you know, scoring in terms of Medunian and Fabian leaving. Um, so they need other guys to step it up. And if, if Santos is going to produce like that, um, I think that's a big, that, that's a huge sign for them. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I would also say that, I think the thing like from a macro level that sticks out to me is that he's just very active and very engaged and he seems to always be around the ball. And yeah. uh you know he's doing he's doing some CJ Sapong type of things where he's trying to chest the ball down and trying to hold the ball up in front of defenders. Uh he's hammering that that wide channel run where they just play it beyond the you know the right fullback or the right center back, you know the the channel or the or the split on the end there. And he's just chasing after that too. And that's somebody pointed it out to me on Twitter. I forget who it was. So sorry, I'll give you I'll give you credit afterwards. But you know, when, when you when you don't when you when you're not playing with wingers and you have you know midfielders who are tucked in like that, you know, a lot of the width that you're trying to create going forward is gonna is gonna be Sergio kind of just getting into those spaces and just letting him sprint onto the ball. You know, and a lot of strikers, a lot of strikers don't want to do that because like you're just gonna become gassed quickly you know and then like you want to kind of hang on the on the back shoulder and score but that's what I would say about him um the number two topic I think on my mind is Jose Martinez yeah and um I like this game man I mean he was active again he was throwing in huge tackles you know maybe a little overzealous at times it looked like he could pass the ball pretty well too you know it's kind of hard to make any kind of determination on a guy when like literally that was the hardest game that he's probably going to have to play all year you know, you could you could put that LAFC road game anywhere in the schedule and it would probably be the hardest trip that they have to make, right? So I mean I think all told the guy's running around with a cut with a busted lip and blood all over his face, uh, and looked pretty damn good to me. Yeah, I was very impressed. Uh although I did kind of fear that he was gonna get sent off at basically every single point of the second half. Um you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I think you look back to uh the first week, the decision to start Warren Craval over both Martinez and Mate Orovech, who didn't even make the 18 out of these first two games, you know, that caused a lot of consternation. And I think for good reason, because um, the Union are not going to be a playoff team if Warren Craval makes 25 starts this year. It's just not going to happen. If they thought he could handle that role, I think I said on Twitter, you know, he might have, he would have gotten a single start at any point over Harris Madunian in that role in the last three years. He's just, yep, yep. You know, that, that, that's not what he's good for. So the Union have to have either Martinez or Orovec step up and fill that role. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I'm not convinced that Craval would not have started again this week had he not gotten injured uh, because, you know, he didn't make the 18. He turned up on the injury report. Yeah. You have more, you know, Curtin is you know, sort of forced to give Martinez a shot, and I thought he really impressed. I thought you could tell that he um, he was reacting to things before they happened. 
uh, and in terms of it just seemed like you know the pass would go and all of a sudden he would be there ahead of the man or he would be in the right spot to cut off the next pass um, and he was not afraid to throw throw his body around and he wasn't afraid to push forward a little bit either I, you know you saw him more in the attacking half than I think you you know Craval is much more of a like I'm going to settle in front of the back line does not offer you much going forward yeah, so I, thought, yeah. I thought it was an encouraging debut um I mean, he, he is kind of at fault on that first goal because that, that one is a needless foul. So those are the sorts of things that Curtin is going to want him to clean up. But uh, it's encouraging debut. What did you think, you know, this isn't quite direct to the game, but what do you make of this whole Orvetch thing in terms of, you know, uh, has not made the 18 United game, did not appear for Union 2 on Saturday despite not traveling to L.A.? Where, where are you at on, on him I mean, I understand the perspective, that, and I understand where Jim is coming from and that he has tough decisions to make. I mean, just because a new guy is brought in and he's signed and all the fans want to see him start uh, doesn't mean that he can just put the guy in if he's not ready to play, you know, so I understand that. But, um, you know, you look at guys like Kai Wagner who came in at the same age from the same, like, area and were ready to start on day one <laughs> and – yeah. Sergio Santos and now Jose Martinez looks like he's the real deal. So it's more this is more of like an isolated thing, really, than any kind of blanket, like you gotta earn your stripes kind of thing, you know. Um I think watching Martinez last night, he definitely has the skill set of an eight. Like I think he honestly plays more like a I think he'd honestly be better in the Jamiro or Bedoya role um yeah. than playing the six. And maybe with Oravets, if if he's the way that I see it on paper, like if you make us if you look at the I think Martinez and Craval are similar, and they both have a huge motor, um, and they can win balls back, but they're not going to be the metronome of Harris Madunian. And it's kind of crazy how far apart. Like, Harris was, like, 99% passing and, like, 1% defense, and Craval is, like, 99% ball winning and tackling and, like, 1% <laughs> passing. It's like these guys could not be any further – apart on the, on the spectrum, the midfield spectrum, you know what I mean? So I, I would like to actually see if Oravets can pass the ball a little bit. And then they get in a situation where Aronson's gone for a little bit with the Olympics or whatever. Um, yeah. You could play Jameer as a 10. You could have Martinez play it as the 8 on the left side, and then you could have uh, Oravets, if he's ready by then, come in and play the 6. I, I like... I think Warren has always been a great ball winner. And you remember that 2016 year when he was playing next to Brian Carroll and they had that 6-8 kind of destroyer combo going on and it worked pretty well for him. Um, I just don't think Warren passes the ball well enough to warrant being a starter on this team. No, and he and I just think that he does not pass the ball well enough to do that. And I think they're a team that needs some passing from that role just because uh, – you know, I, I just don't think they can get it done with a guy there who's basically going to turn it over to the center backs on every play uh, to, to have them start the attack. But, yeah, I thought it was encouraging for Martinez or El Brujo, uh, as, you know, we're, we're all debating whether or not to call him. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was really entertaining to watch him fly all over the pitch last night and ruin several soccer jerseys with him. <laughs> Blood everywhere. <laughs> That's right. Um, it was a very Philadelphia debut. Um, Brendan Aronson. You know, I just wrote a note down here. Um, 
I thought there were some some moments last night where he looked really good pressing, and I felt like other guys weren't helping him. And there was one yeah. sequence where he kind of jarred the ball loose, and he got in there, and he and he made himself a pain in the butt. And then Montero was kind of standing there, you know. I feel like they're still a little bit apart and throwing that secondary guy there, and that always like drives me crazy. Like when you're playing a you know a pickup game or something like that, like you feel like you like glue yourself to a guy and you make a good challenge. Or you make them uncomfortable and the ball kind of pops out a little bit. And then you're waiting for the, your teammate to kind of come there and, like, help you out, you know? feels like with some of the pressing cues, like, they're still a little – they're still trying to figure out how to work how to work together in that regard. Um, but I thought Brendan played a good game. You know, it, on the goal that Santos scored, the first goal, uh, Shabilko does a great job to track back. Uh, he gets the ball forward to Aronson, and then he kind of holds it up a little bit and, and keeps the ball alive to Montero, and then they play it over to Santos. I feel like Aronson probably did a little bit better job just kind of like, you know, fi- finding his feet in those tight spaces and holding himself up and, and moving the ball around because I think that was his problem last year is that he'd always find those great spaces. Sometimes he'd get, like, bowled over, uh, or sometimes he he was think- his, his brain was moving faster than his feet were. And um, last night I felt like it, it like he looked a little bit better in that department. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I would say that the, the two things that have been most encouraging about Aronson from last night are, one, you know, that goal is the sort of finish that he needs to add to his game in terms of just, like, you've got the ball in the right spot, put it on frame, do it quickly, uh, don't, you know, overthink it or try to take a, an extra touch or whatever, just bury it. Um, and I think... He had a moment like that in the Dallas game where it looked like the decision-making was better there. So I think he's he's adding something. And the other thing is the fact that he actually went to full 90. Um, you know, last year, a lot of the times, he was the guy who would get sucked out to start making way for El Cino. Um The fact that last night it was Santos, Aronson goes to full 90. You know, he's still running around. Um, I do think... The physical side of his game is really a concern because I, I do think he gets pushed off the ball way too easily. And some of that's just, you know, he's 19 or 20 or however old he is. Like, you know, uh, that's going to come with the territory. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, Aronson is still far from a finished product. And I think he's, my personal take is that I think most people actually overrate his ability. I, I, I don't think he's, you know, I think you and I might have talked about this on Twitter at the time. I thought it was crazy that he got called up to the national team. Um, but, yeah. you know, if he, if he starts putting these pieces together, uh, he's a real chance to show out at the qualifying tournament. Um, that's what you want to see from him this year is kind of taking these steps forward in terms of, like, you want to see him bag, you know, and he get 10 goals. Is that too much to ask? 10 assists you know, adding production to the flashes that we saw last year. Um, and I think the signs were good last night. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Cause like he, the, <laughs> the goal that he scored, uh, he gets himself into a great spot, turns around from eight yards and he just whacks it near post. Right. Yeah. Um, there wasn't an LA player within five yards of him. So they like, they fucking blew the defense on the back end. They had three guys guarding one guy on the other end and Brendan was wide open. Now he sees that. And so he just goes, takes the space, gets the ball, turns around, just gives it a whack, right? Um, you know, if somebody else, if like Sergio Santos scores that goal, we're not sitting here saying, oh, what a great goal. We're just saying, oh, man, it was, you know, he's in the right spot and finished it, you know? And I just think yeah. that there's such a – like I don't, I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think that I'm like harsh on Brendan Aronson or that like I expect more or something. I just think that because people are so down – 
on the U.S. men's national team right now. And because the bar is so low for American for young American talent, I feel like all that they have to do is one good thing. And we're like singing their praises, you know, whereas like if Brandon keeps doing what he's doing and to your point, if he adds more production than like the three goals and the three assists or four assists than he had last year, then we can start to have a serious conversation about, it. you know, I just don't want to like heap too much praise on the kid beforehand because it's got, it has to mean something, you know? Yeah. And I think the same thing is true about Mark McKenzie, who uh, I thought McKenzie played a terrific, terrific match yesterday. Um, maybe you could say he should have should not have given Rossi as much space on the first goal or on Rossi's goal. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good player making a pretty tough shot. He did not have a lot of space. Uh, but I thought the first both of the first two games I thought McKenzie who looked really strong. You know, he's winning tackles. He's showing intelligence. He's uh, I don't think you know, the Union have allowed five goals, and yet it somehow feels like their defense has been pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what yeah. that says. But but I do think, you know, at the same time, while I, I am excited, and I think people should be excited about McKenzie, how much McKenzie has accomplished, and uh, whether, you know, he can jump off the Olympic qualifying tournament, it's also true that, you know, this is the first time in his life he's ever really nailed down a starting job. You know, can he keep that up the whole season? He didn't do it last year. He didn't do it the year before. Um, you can see how quickly a guy goes from that level of potential to, I mean, Austin Trusty is not making the Colorado Rapids 18 right now. Um, yep, yep. And so I, I, I do think, I think your point is right, which is we're so starved for young talent that the expectations get hyped up for these guys way too soon. Um, Aronson and McKenzie are both like 19, 20, whatever it is. Uh, let's get through this season and see and hope that they've made, you know, kind of age commensurate steps. Um, and it's not a failure if they're not starting for, you know, Bruce Dortmund next season. One, uh, one more game question for you. And then I got one more topic for you. If you got a couple minutes after that, um, yeah, sure. Andre Blake, a uh, couple great saves last night. Uh, you know, and then on the third goal, maybe, maybe flap into that one a little bit. Maybe he was impeded. Maybe somebody got under him. Um, it was another ball that he kicked out of play. I mean, it looked like the Andre Blake of old when it came to shot stopping and just, you know, making himself big and, and keeping the team in the game. Um, so that was kind of one separate take I had on Andre. And then on the other side, I kind of like, I don't, I'm just not sure if his like kicking game and his like command of the box game is really any different than what it was over the last couple of years. Um, number one, do you agree with that? And number two, does it matter? Well, I think the, the kicking game thing, uh, uh, I, I'm not as big on the kicking game thing as some people. I know some people care a lot about it, but um, I just remember I, a few years ago I was having a conversation with my my uh, my parents uh, about you know Andre Blake, and I was trying to explain like, yeah, you know, people grew up with Andre Blake because you know he didn't kick the ball that well. And they were kind of like, he's the goalie. Why does he need to kick the ball that well? Yeah. And yeah. I do think sometimes we forget that like. First and foremost, his job is to stop shots. And if the kicking is really that bad, you know, just, just, you don't even have to kick the ball outside the 18 anymore. Just tap it to Glesnes and let him whack it 60 yards. It's really that big of a problem. Um, the box control, I do kind of see that a little bit. I mean, that was his big problem in that playoff game last year against Red Bulls, where he was just flapping at everything, didn't seem to know where he was. That, to me, is a bigger concern. Um, but I, I would say the shot stopping. The shot stopping is what makes Andre Blake what he is. Last year he was not doing that. This year he had a couple of them against Dallas. 
and he had, you know, the one in the he had one in stoppage time last night that saved the game. He was one on one against Brian Rodriguez, and Brian Rodriguez should have scored. Um, Blake makes himself big. He makes yeah. a save. He had a couple other ones like that. You know, at the end of the day, uh, I would be, I, I would say that, you know, he's always got room to improve. There's a reason that he's still with the Union and has never made that move to Europe. But uh, I think you have to be happy to see that his physical, his physical gifts are not, you know, slipping. He's still got that ability to pull one or two out of the bag when, when you get let down. All right, last topic for you, and I'll let you go. And I forgot to tell you about this before the podcast, so sorry to drop this on you. But um, So we got a request to talk about the Grant Wall tweet about the locker rooms and uh, the media access. And uh, I wrote a column about this for Crossing Broad today, where basically just to set the stage, like, you know, because of the coronavirus and stuff like that, you know, teams and, and leagues are taking precautionary measures. And, uh, you know, talking about playing in front of empty arenas and you know maybe not letting the media go into the locker room and just trying to keep like everybody away from each other just so we don't like risk this thing any further you know just like common sense stuff right so um you know one of the reports that came out was that the nhl was thinking about keeping the media out of the locker room and so grant wall uh comes out from sports illustrated comes out and says you know i don't think we need to be in the locker room anyway you know i've done like mix zone with the women's national team blah 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 it's fine well, that to, and to me, that was like innocuous. It didn't really mean that much to me because I understood that he was just saying like, okay, we do the post-game access outside instead of doing it in the locker room. Uh, well, that caused like a shitstorm of people disagreeing with him who thinks that he was like, I think that he was like advocating for less access or like kicking reporters out of locker rooms or trying to kill the sports journalism industry or something like that, which seemed crazy to me. But I just kind of agree on the surface that um, I don't, I don't really like being in the locker room because I don't, um, I don't feel like that's our space. Like, I feel like that's the player's space. You know, they're like preparing for a game in the NBA where there's pregame, you know, they got headphones on, they're preparing for a game. Maybe they're getting like an ankle wrapped, uh, you know, trying to get in a good spot mentally before they go play. You know, and then after the game, they're getting out of the shower. They're trying to change. You know, we're standing there waiting for guys to put pants on and stuff like that. I just, uh, my take has always kind of been like, I don't, I'm not, I, we need to do post-game access. Yes, we should have access to everybody post-game. I just don't think it needs to take place in the locker room because I just think it's kind of like a like a sacred kind of place for, for players that, that, that we don't, where we don't need to be. So I think I would agree with Grant uh, on that, but he apologized and like deleted it or something. Do you have a take, Peter Andrews, on that? <laughs> well, I, I have a couple sort of miscellaneous thoughts, one of which is, you know, it's important to keep in mind, even though I write, for a full soccer page, and I write about the union as a journalist. Um, I'm not a journalist. I'm a lawyer. Uh, I have I don't have journalist journalism training. Um, uh, as a lawyer, I prefer when things are on the record and in <laughs> and in uh, yeah. sanitized boardrooms. Um, so, and and I definitely have distinctly gotten a lot of mileage out of the years by explaining to people like, yeah, you know, go in the locker room after the game. It's weird. They're all half naked, and it's very awkward. So from from that perspective, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. And I, I'll also say that most of the games I cover, because I'm based out here, I do road games. For road games, um, what the union will usually do is they'll pull Jim and a couple players out of the visiting locker room, just because the visiting locker room is kind of usually it's, it's not as good a facility or whatever. And yeah. they'll, they'll yeah. bring them out, and I'll, I'll just kind of talk to them one-on-one. Um, that being said, I, I kind of think uh, – I do think that there are advantages to the ability to, you know, chat with these guys in a session where they're not uh, bundled up as much. And, and I, 
I don't know, not everyone's a subscriber to The Athletic, but I think about a guy like Bo Wolf at The Athletic, mm-hmm. able to, because he's in the locker room, um, and he asks, he builds these reports with guys where not only can he ask them just like the dumbest questions in the world, because that's Bo's thing, <laughs> but he's also able to build a rapport with a guy like Jason Kelsey, to where he can write this, in my view, really incredible piece where every week, they talk about like what injuries Kelsey has that are not being reported because it's like, oh, I broke my finger or whatever. Um, and I, I kind of think that what I, you know, it's Twitter, so everything got flattened down to its lowest possible dimension. But I think <laughs> what people were critical of Grant for um, is saying, uh, you know, listen, for some of us who aren't Grant Wall, the locker room is like an important place for sports media. Right. So we'll just, right. I, I, I'll mention here. <laughs> I, the Nick Zone and Grant Wall. Here's why Grant Wall thinks that the Nick Zone is fine, right? So I was covering the Copa America in 2016. I went up to Seattle for that quarterfinal game. Okay. But of course, like I'm just there for play soccer page, so I, I don't like need to talk to these guys after the game, whatever. But I go down to the Nick Zone anyway. So I'm standing at the rope line, waiting for these guys to come. All of a sudden, I feel two elbows, one on either side of me, push me back away from, and I kind of look, up. one side is Ivis Galarsip, and the other side is Grant Wall, <laughs> and it's straight up like it was a, uh, like we're fighting for a rebound, just got bodied off the line. Yeah. Um, I, I tweeted in about it afterward, and he's like jokingly, he was like, yep, yeah, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, it and, makes You know, so, look, man, if yeah. you're Grant Wall and you're willing to, uh, uh, you know, you're going to get the guys to talk to you in the mix zone. So that's my take on it. I, I see where you're coming from, though, which is like, uh, I will never not think it's weird to be talking to these guys while they're dicking down. So. <laughs> yeah, the mix the mix zone is weird because, like, when you do those big international tournaments like the Copa, like we did it in Philly, you know, I remember waiting at the end of the line for, like, Osvaldo Vizcarando to come out so I could ask him a question in Spanish about, like, Fernando Aristigueta. You know, I was looking for any kind of Philadelphia Union angle I could find. And mix zone is not ideal. But, you know, in a small, like, union setting where there aren't as many media members there, that works, too. And I understand. I, I agree with what you're saying about, like, Bo Wolf and Paul Tenorio was, was arguing with, not really arguing, but he was he responded to, to me on Twitter and he said, you know, like, you know, a lot of old school reporters build these relationships and stuff in the locker room. And I think that's important. I think my take is that you can kind of, like, <clears throat> I think there are other spots, at least in MLS, to build those relationships. You can get one-on-ones with guys on the practice field and you, know, you can get them in other spots and things like that and... um you know, every, and everybody's got a different job too. Like the guys who write for the athletic, like when Dave and, and Matt were there, um, you know, they would find they, they needed to tell more of those like unique kind of stories, you know, that were not popping up on a, on a place like crossing broad, you know what I mean? So I think yeah. ev- everybody's kind of got like their own responsibility and their own role where that one V one kind of like uh, relationship building time is more important than it is to, to other people. So I'm like, I'm, you know, like under, I understand that I'm sensitive to that. Um, my, my take has always just been like, like you said, I don't need to be waiting for a guy to put his pants on, you know? Well, look, my, my recommendation, uh, I have found in my career that the best way to get someone to talk to you is to send them a subpoena. So (laughs) 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 I'm, I'm kidding. Well, maybe we'll file one of those for, well, we'll ask the union if we can get Glessness and then if we can't, then I'll have you file the subpoena and then we'll interview him and ask him about his technique for, uh, free kicks. All right, Peter Andrews, my man, thanks for coming on as always. I appreciate it, and uh, enjoy your time uh, in Colorado as the West Coast uh, Bureau for the Philly Soccer Page. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. Make sure you check us out on the Internet at 
phillysoccerpage.com. Right, and it's uh, Twitter, at P.F. Andrews. You should be following him already, but if you're not, then now you are. Thanks, Kevin. All right, brother. Okay, we're going to continue then with your questions, your comments, and concerns. I have a couple announcements for you that aren't really much of announcements. Um, But before we get there, I actually want to share a reaction. This is from – this is a reaction to the Glessness goal. This is from our friend Liam Jenkins over there in England. He runs the Philadelphia Sports Network. Uh, Liam Jenkins, no relation to Leroy Jenkins. This was his reaction to the Glessness goal. Pretty good, pretty good, man. We might maybe I'll chop that up and we'll use we'll add that to the soundboard and we'll make that a uh, a regular a regular bite on the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program. Uh, two announcements: the live podcast is Saturday, a couple days away. Uh, so the information is on my Twitter page. We're gonna go at five o'clock uh, at the Larimer. It's literally gonna be like the same exact way we did it if you were at the first one. So five o'clock uh, on Saturday, we're teaming up with Union Soccer Podcast. It'll be me. It'll be Sean Brace. It'll be Joe Tanzi. Uh, we're going to go from 5 to 6. The game, I guess, starts at 7.30. So come to the Larimer early because um, it'll probably fill in fill in pretty pretty good. Uh, even I was there last week for the season opener, and they had probably the, the place was full for an away game. So if it's kind of cold and crappy and um, you know people are coming in before the game, it's probably going to end up being standing room only like it was the last time. Um, but 5 to 6 at the Larimer. Uh, and then you have like 90 minutes afterwards to go tailgate or do whatever the hell you want to do. You don't need a ticket or anything like that. You just walk right in and uh, we'll have our, our equipment set up in the corner and we'll start talking at five and we'll stop talking around six o'clock. So that's the plan. Um, the charity thing with the apparel, I'm still kind of stuck on that because of the coronavirus. So we can't really do much with that at all. I'm just kind of at the mercy of the uh, the international shipping market right now. But uh, whenever that, that comes through, we'll do it. And, uh, you know, we'll, same thing. I'll just donate 100% of whatever I make, and we'll split it between Starfinder and Kensington. So that's about all I can tell you with that right now. But uh, all right, uh, let's get to the questions, the uh, comments, the concerns, and the reactions to the Glessness goal. Uh, Dills, Andrew Dillon says, everybody was sl- sleeping, so he did muffled screaming into his pillow. Um, Silver Ray says he woke the neighbors and definitely freaked out the pets. Yeah, I was like in bed and I didn't want to wake. The dog was also in there too, so I didn't want to wake him up. My wife would have been mad enough at me. Well, it was it was ba- when it was bad enough too. We were all trying to adjust to to daylight savings too. I was already kind of screwed up and kind of like wondering where I was anyway. Uh, one of those nights, you know. Uh, Matt Thornton, a mediocre bad guy who came up with the name for this podcast uh, in a four four two diamond. How do you combat fatigue from the press falling susceptible to long diagonal balls and the opponent? Uh, that skips the midfield. Uh, Matt Real and Ray Gattis were isolated way too many times from this type of play. Yeah, it was. A, it's a concern, isn't it? You know, they were pretty gassed. They looked pretty gassed around the 80-minute mark, 78, 80-minute. Uh, but the way it came out, uh, they were kind of like just batting down the hatches at the end there trying to hang on. You know, it's interesting, yeah, to, to beat the press. I don't know how many of you remember this, but when New, when Philly and New York played a bunch of times – uh, in 2016, when Chris Pontius was still on the field, uh, New York would always like cluster press, and they would kind of like try to trap you into the corners. And uh, Chris Pontius was always good at kind of just getting his head up and just just clipping the ball to the other side of the field, doing that. It's called a blind switch. 
Like you're just going to blindly switch the ball. You don't really know exactly where you're going, but you know that you have all these bodies over here. So when you have people pressing you, try to move them, you know, 40, 50 yards the other way, they're going to tire themselves out, you know? So, yeah, um, you know, I guess one of the ways you can do it is kind of have Martinez hang back a little bit and he can shuffle left to right and try to help the fullbacks out defensively when it comes to that. Uh, the center backs can maybe try to play a little bit of a higher line and, and try to, you know, play, you know, try to play guys offside a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a, there's really not a ton you can do with it. It's just kind of the nature of the system itself. When you're playing narrow like that, you know, there's going to be a big, uh, onus on the, on the fullbacks on that side, not only to create with, but they're going to find themselves one-on-one in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, I thought they held up pretty damn good, honestly, you know, those were tough matchups for Ray uh, and for Matt Real. um, on, on Sunday night. I think they did a pretty good job with it, honestly. Um, this one's from Union Hulk, and it's in capital letters. And it says, Kevin Dina, why did the Philadelphia Union not fly charter to LAFC? Will Jay Sugarman be so cheap to not just follow the ru- to just not follow the rules? Hulky bets that the Union only had water and snack-sized peanuts on the cross-country trip. Uh, also, where was Kevin Durant? Uh, can we free run Aldino? And Hulk's uh, glessness noise is a picture of uh, Jay Cutler uh, getting hit by a referee. Uh, why did they not fly? Why did they fly charter? Well, it's early. It's early, Hulk. They can. Uh, uh, why did they not fly charter? They flew commercial because it's early. You got to save them, man. Can't be blowing them now. Uh, Wave Hawk says, "What is the state of our center backs? Is Elliot just not in the mix right now?" Uh, or will the ever elusive squad rotation actually come into play this season? Well, I mean, when McKenzie goes to the Olympics, you know, it's going to be Elliot and Glessness with uh, Colin back there. You know, I don't know how much there is to the, you know, Elliot didn't play a ton in the preseason and the whole green card kind of thing. I mean, he seems like a guy who's always in shape, who's a pro, who'll be ready to go in and play whenever. So maybe that was just kind of an excuse for Jim to say, hey, we can get the new guy on the field and, you know, I don't have to have kind of a, you know, who the hell am I going to play kind of controversy going on here. Um, yeah, maybe that had something to do with it. But, I mean, if you guys look at how the minutes played out with the center backs last year, you know, Elliott played every single minute, and Trusty and McKenzie both played a ton of minutes too. So, And Colin got a handful of starts. So, you know, you add that, you got League's Cup. Yeah, you're going to have Open Cup too. There's there, There'll be there'll be plenty of, um, plenty of minutes for those guys to play. Uh, Mike wanted to know about the reporters in the locker room, which we talked about. Uh, George says, whose jersey should I get this year? Last year, uh, the last two I got were Akam and Fabian. Yeah, those guys are, you know, didn't last very long, right? That's like the guy who wears the Stuart Bradley jersey or the uh, Chris Gokong jersey to the to the Eagles game. Uh, who should you get this year? Uh, I would get a Glessness jersey because I'm a center back. I just, you know, you love to see a center back do well, don't you? That was a win. That that goal was a win for center backs everywhere. I'm trying to think, too. Do, do, I don't know if anybody remembers any other. Did a center back ever score a goal off a set piece for the Philadelphia Union, like like from his foot? I think Carlos Valdez tried a couple of them, didn't he? He was always one of those guys who wanted to stand you know, he, he would always kind of st- st- stand there with, like, Mike Farfan and, uh, you know, the other guys on the team who were actually, t- like, Roger Torres, dudes who actually could hit a free kick, and he wanted to stand there and make it look like he could, but it was never, you know, he, he didn't thump them like uh, like Glessness was. Ironically, too, you know, I went back and found that tweet from January 
where uh, I was looking for defensive highlights of Glessness, and I couldn't really find any, but there was a clip where he scored a goal off a free kick, and so I just tweeted out, well, I've uh, found this knuckler that he hit here. So, um, it's, And honestly, too, it's a good – it's actually kind of good to see that from a position of need standpoint because Madunian had banged in a couple free kicks over the years. You know, and with the with service this year, I think we all knew it was probably going to go to Jamiro. You know, so if Glessens doesn't hit that thumper last night, who's taking that? Jamiro's just going to try to curl one into the box from thirty from thirty five yards. You know, so it's nice that they have that option. John Arnarisa used to hit those too, but he was left footed. I don't know what it is about the Norwegian dudes, man. They're just like like powerful, and they can just crush a ball. You know, um, that big skin. It's that big Scandinavian Viking build. Um, Mitch Dandeniak, uh, says over under on Brujo getting 10 yellows this season. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I didn't realize that he got so many, uh, yellows playing for, uh, Zulaya, uh, last year. What'd they say? 19 on the broadcast. It's a lot, man. You know, if you have 19 over like a 34 game season, I don't know how long the season is down there, but I mean, he's, he's probably going to get a suspension for accumulation. Don't you think? I mean, it'll probably happen at some point. Uh, he also asks, are we more likely to miss Aronson or McKenzie during Olympic qualifying? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I you know, obviously Elliot and Glessness both look, uh, well, Elliot's the real deal. Glessness looks like the real deal. So I think that center back pairing is going to be fine. So I don't, I don't, I think they'll be okay without McKenzie. Aronson, you know, if you go to what I was talking about with Peter, um, you know, I think Brujo looks like an eight. I, I know I'm not to say that he's an eight more than a six, but I think he could definitely play up there. And, you know, if Brendan goes, um, you know, I like Jamiro at the 10, Martinez on the left, Bedoya on the right, uh, maybe Oravets uh, at the 6. Uh, or if you could keep it how it is. You could play Brujo as the 6, Jamiro on the left, Bedoya on the right, and then you could play um, Anthony Fontana at the 10. You guys like that? By the way, I haven't really been that impressed with Bedoya over the first two games. Have you guys? I don't know. It seems like he's a little slow to get started this year. Um, might be trying to sort of find his feet without Madunian and being next to him too, you know. Um, Trey says, what's the take on Martinez? Yeah, we, we well, we talked about that. Um, I liked him. I thought he looked good. Um, Trey also says, does Lesson Doreen's put on union games? Uh, <laughs> I, I highly doubt it, but I think I think they're the type of people. Uh, Doreen is the type of person. By the way, this is a corner bar in Fishtown. It's like a block from my house. Um just a little like like a typical Philly bar. They, uh, I think, if you went and asked them, they would probably put the union on. I think people are getting better with that too. Like, I think, I think if we did like a poll, if we did a survey, like compare like 2010 compared to five years ago, how how much more likely is your local bar uh, to put on a union game if you ask versus like what it was in 2015? You know, we used to have nightmares of like getting chicky chickies and Pete's, the one in like egg harbor township i remember i was down there like five or six years ago because we didn't have cable at my wife's shore house it's not really a shore house it's like on the on the river down there it's more like a, in the woods and uh, we didn't have cable so for the union games we used to have to go out to like bars and watch it on like in like may's landing so i would drive up to the hamilton mall and i'd sit there at the buffalo wild wings at the hamilton mall and i'd watch away games there like the chickies and pete's on uh on the black horse pike or the white horse whichever one it whatever horse pike it is uh, they would always – Chickies had like 400 fucking TVs there, and it would be like pulling teeth to get them to put the Union game on TV. But I think people are better – I think people are better with that now than they were. 
Um, Dr. Strange dupe says is a draw instead of a win. The difference between the union being good versus being a great team. Yeah, I think so. It's also probably easier to get these earlier in the year too. You know, LA has got the champions league going on as well. I think you're probably better catching them now versus like, you know, in the summer when, you know, the champions league is over and they're not, you know, uh, their legs might be a little, or, you know, the, the schedule's not going to be as packed as it is. Um, Taylor says, do you think Santos, Shabilko, that pairing will perform this season as well as they did last night or more like they performed against FC Dallas? They looked solid last night, but not that great. Uh, no, I mean, I think if they're all kind of clicking on the same page and they're, you know, again, I think it goes a lot to like pushing forward at the same time, tracking back at the same time, reading what other guys are going to do. That, that always drives you crazy uh, when you're playing pickup games, you know, and you're trying to win the ball back because you're playing with a bunch of guys that you've never really played with before. So it's not like you're used to other people's habits. Like I would go jar the ball loose and I'd be looking for the second guy to come in from like five or six yards away and they'd just kind of be standing there, you know. Um, you know, when you play with a team or if you play, if, you know, in any kind of league or CASA or whatever the hell, like you're kind of used to other people's tendencies. And so that's kind of, I think where that, where the, what we saw more of that last night where they kind of knew where each guy liked to be. And they knew when one guy was going to make this run and when this guy was going to go to this run or, or operate in that space. And, you know, I think that helps Brendan too, because then he can see what the, the habits of the two strikers in front of him who are forming a better partnership. And then he can identify spots to go into as well. So I think if you keep that trio together and then bring Vooten in off the bench and kind of get him acclimated a little bit, I think you got a good uh, good rotation going on there. Uh, Kanye Wu says, I was watching at a friend's house and I woke up his dad, uh, but no shame. Uh, he says, what is Elliot's role now? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't, that's a thing. I mean, you're probably waiting for one of Glessness or McKenzie to make a mistake and then Jim will, you know, rotate one out. But yeah, I mean, you would hate to see Jack sit on the friggin' bench until Olympic qualifying. It doesn't, that's, that's way too long, you know? Um, YGB, uh, says I'm not as high as, uh, on Aronson as other fans, but he looked really good last night, his best game of his young career. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, again, I don't want people to think I'm not high on Brendan Aronson. I just, I, I feel like sometimes the, the, the bar or the, um, you know, what's expected of him is different because of his status as a young American, you know, versus like another guy coming in. Uh, and here's the last one. Paul Costa says, uh, with the rebrand of Subaru Park is the Toyota Plaza toast. Uh, hashtag Japanese car wars. I mean, I would imagine it has to be, right? Uh, you know, it's you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, you know, offer the same or competitors the same like commercial space on the, uh, in the same commercial, would you? It'd be kind of weird. Uh, but we'll find out. So anyway, uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Glad we could get one up uh, one day after the game. Maybe try to be more consistent with that this year. But uh, great game, fun to talk about. And uh, come out to the live podcast on Saturday. Like I said, we're going to be there at 5 o'clock. Come in and say, hey, uh, don't be a stranger. Just come up to me and f hit me and say, hey, what's up, man? And, um, you know, it'll be me and Sean and Joe, 5 o'clock at the Larimer. Uh, good beers, good time, and hopefully – uh, three points. All right. See you then.